0: This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Welcome to the end of session four. Today we have our usual capstone conversation, concluding our journey through the remainder of scripture and reviewing the entirety thereof. The entirety thereof. That's right. We have the whole Bible to review today. We're
1: going to try to do this in less than an hour and 20 minutes. That's Ooh. pretty cool. Ooh, okay. All right. <laughs> I'm going to try not to break a new record. on Buckle like- up. <laughs> But we, this is good. And we had a, we had somebody on our Slack workspace, right? Uh, Hey, Brent, throw our Slack workspace sign up into the show notes. Okay, we'll do. Okay, excellent. Um, And, uh, but we had somebody in our Slack workspace just a few weeks ago, right, Brent? That was like, hey, when are we going to do a review again? Because those reviews, I feel like I'm getting lost. I feel like, and that's, that's actually like, it's bad that you feel like you're getting lost, but it's good that you are aware that you feel like you're getting lost, like, Super important to understand the Bible and the biblical narrative, God's narrative as a whole, to understand the whole story and how it works. Really important to be able to answer the question like, who were God's people and what were they doing at that point in time? Like, where is the story going? I think a lot of us kind of like... We we may have all the Bible books memorized. We may know where to find them. We might have our favorites who may even have portions of scripture we're really familiar with and maybe we like Torah or whatever, but we really didn't spend a whole lot of time in Leviticus and we know who the prophets are, but we really don't spend a lot of time in the prophets and and, and we like Psalms but not Proverbs and like we just kind of like we have this kind of um, I don't know, hopscotch awareness, familiarity of the Bible and how it works. And we on this podcast want to give ourselves a working familiarity. How does the story work? And when I taught this class in person, Brent, you can remember this. We would start every class with a review. Every single one. Every one of the classes because that's how familiar I want. I just boom, boom, boom. I want it to
0: be on on just uh just auto automatic. So um so really we're gonna come out with another episode next week and in fact another episode today, the intro for session five. That's right. We post but, them on the same day. Yep. But really like if you could just listen to one episode over and over and over again, this would be the one. Sure. Right. Yeah. It, it gives you a more of a working familiarity with, with the text. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Um so yeah, that's what we're gonna do. So we're just gonna jump right in. We're gonna review we're gonna review the Bible. And 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 today, in this episode, we're going to do the long review. In our next episode, later today We're going to do the uh, short version, but today's the long review, so we're going to go all the way back. We're going to start in the beginning. It's always good to begin in the beginning. Book of Genesis. We had a section called The Preface. Boy, it's been a long time since we did this. Whew, Man.
0: Buckle up. This is going to be
1: good. Yeah. See if I can do this. Yeah. We have a preface. Genesis chapters 1 through 11. It's like the preface to God's narrative. In this preface, we were introduced some really big ideas. Big ideas
0: like a presentation for today's episode. Great big idea. We have a presentation that you definitely will enjoy if you're able to uh, pull that up. Open it up, follow along, see how Marty does. Absolutely.
1: It's, uh, It's in your show notes there. So it'll give you all the details that you can go back and look at. So definitely uh uh enjoy using that tool there but yeah first 11 chapters of genesis there's a preface He invites us to these big ideas that creation is good and god invites his creatures to trust particularly human beings he invites us as his partners to trust that story it's a good story it's a story of a good creation trust that story. Trust the story. Trust that there is a good creation and that there's nothing more that you can just simply sit in Sabbath rest, know that you're loved, know that you're valued, knowing you're, know that you're accepted. All throughout the preface, we run into people that struggle to do that very thing. But it introduces us to the big idea. And then in the intro, the intro to God's narrative, chapters 12 through 50 of Genesis, we get introduced to the family of God. People like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Uh, these, are, these are characters that uh, they're far from perfect. They struggle as much as you and I do. But the one defining characteristic about this family of God is that they, they do know how to lean back into the story of God. In the midst of all their mistakes, in the midst of chapters where they don't trust the story, they're going to return, and they're going to trust the story, and it's going to lead them into things as simple as being able to step out in faith and as complex as forgiveness. And that's how God sets up his narrative with the preface and the introduction, and that leads us to his narrative, which we call A Tale of Two Kingdoms. We have we have two kingdoms all throughout Scripture, from Exodus to Revelation, we saw it very strongly during Revelation, but we'll get there in a moment, or a few moments. We have A Tale of Two Kingdoms, Empire and Shalom. Empire, which is all about a particular kind of power. It's about force. It's about coercion. It's about the stick. It's about... Uh, yeah it's about forcing people to do uh, imposing your will upon people putting them under the boot of your empire versus shalom which is like the exact opposite of those things it's it's not it's not force it's invitation it's not uh it's not coercion it's it's a it's a it's word it's not it's not leading by a stick it's leading with your voice uh it's not breaking things apart it's putting things back together it's empire versus shalom and so that narrative really begins in Exodus. It begins with the story of God's rescue and the story of the Exodus, the story of the Passover. God rescuing his people from Egypt. He takes them from Egypt. He brings them to Mount Sinai where there's a gigantic marriage. And at this marriage, God says, if you'll marry me, you're going to be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Uh, and they say, we do. We we will sign up for that marriage. And, and that marriage leads to the tabernacle, which is a lot of different things. The tabernacle is... Um, it's the honeymoon suite. The tabernacle is a literary, from a literary perspective, it's a retelling of Genesis 1 through 3, uh, kind of like a mobile Genesis, kind of you're, you're, you're bringing yourself with, you're bringing with yourself through the desert. Um, you have, uh, from, from maybe a narrative perspective... If God said you'll be for me a kingdom of priests, their big question is, we don't even know, what do you mean by that, God? What do you mean that we're a kingdom of priests? Question about the tabernacle
0: real quick. Does the tabernacle, the way it's set up, is that the same kind of way that the people of the day would want to set up their homes and mimic that in so far as they're able to without necessarily having all the holy elements, but... Not so much the homes. It
1: definitely mimicked the temples of their day, the pagan temples of their day, which were supposed to not mimic a home, but mimic paradise. Almost all those ancient narratives had a paradise narrative, almost all of them taking place in a garden or uh, a forest of some kind. And so you build these temples. These temples have pillars. And as you walk through these temples, it's supposed to give you this feeling of you're in that garden, you're in that forest, you're in paradise. And it is the house of God. Like that's not it's not a far-fetched idea, but maybe I don't think they would connect it to their own homes as much as paradise itself being God's home. So, yeah, so God gives them this paradise. He gives them this tabernacle so that they can know what priests are like. And and in order to help them with that, he also gives them the book of Leviticus. Because the book of Leviticus is like the owner's manual in the glove box of the tabernacle. It is the it is the this is how you do priesthood. It is the manual for priesthood. And so Leviticus starts off with atonement um, because before we can talk about anything else, we need to know that we're okay with God. Um, right after that, you get all these instructions about priesthood, what we call the priest sandwich. You had two sections on priesthood. Um, like how priests dress and what they can do and their sexual relations and about owning land and farming. And then in the middle of those two sections, uh, y- you have all these things about, well, how are you going to eat and how are you going to farm and how are you going to live kosher? And, and what it did was it showed us that this, this book of Leviticus is a manual for priesthood. It's inviting you to know that if you watch the physical priest do his job, you get insight into the priestly call that is your life. You might not be called to the same extent that a priest is, but that priest lives the way that he does so that you can understand how you're supposed to live conceptually. And after you get done with that call, uh, God says, by the way, I've ordained the party because if you don't party, you're going to forget that the story was good. You're going to forget everything that we went over in the beginning, uh, even now as we wrap up session four. How many of us have moved on from Genesis 1? How many of us have lost the plot of the story? Forget to trust the story. Forget that everything is good. How you, you have to have the party because the party brings you back to this over and over and over again. And once you party, it should change your heart. Once you've been in the presence of the king, you leave the king's presence changed and transformed, and that leads you to take care of the oppressed. Like That's what God's party, the result of God's party is, is to take care of the oppressed. Now, they've been taught about how to be priests. They've been given a tabernacle, but now they need to go learn it's one thing to to be given the instruction manual, it's another thing to have to go become very intimate with the product itself. It's, it's another thing to go learn what it actually is and experience the use of the thing that you've been reading about and learning about. And so God leads them out into a, a desert honeymoon. If we wanted to keep using the marital image, um, he leads them into the desert for 40 years to go on a honeymoon where he, they just get to know their new groom. They get to know their new spouse uh, and they get to know him very intimately uh, there in the desert when they're done in the desert uh Moses leads them to a discussion that becomes a book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is basically God asking them to remember right before they enter the promised land. God says, I don't want you to forget everything about where you've been. I don't want you to forget the, the the desert of numbers. I don't want you to forget the law of Leviticus. I don't want you to forget where you came from, that you came out of Egypt and over and over and over again. God says, remember, remember you were slaves in Egypt. Remember you were slaves in Egypt. Remember you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. And so God says central to being his people is the idea of remembering where you came from. When you remember where you came from, you remember that you were, what were you, Brent? You were an alien or an orphan or a widow. That's right. You know what it's like to be on the margins. You know what it's like to be oppressed. So if you're remembering where you came from, you take care of the the marginalized. You take care of those who are oppressed. You take care of the alien, the orphan, and the widow. And you see that phrase show up in Deuteronomy over and over again. If you remember, you notice you see and you take care of the alien, the orphan, the widow. And ironically enough, when you take care of the alien, the orphan, and the widow, they also remind you of where you came from. And so this beautiful endless cycle just keeps you right there in your identity as God's people and the mission of God's people all wrapped up into one. And that was session one. That was that was session one, and that led us into session two, where we just kept rolling through the Bible, and that led us to the book of Joshua, because God's going to take this group of people that He just rescued and trained up and shaped and molded these partners, and He wants to put these partners at the crossroads of the earth. And so Joshua is the story of conquest, but outside of conquest, it's this, it's this idea of God God accomplishing His mission, taking His people and putting them not in the side, not in a holy huddle, not in the corner. He's not trying to get them to like hang out until the end of time. He's trying to get them to partner with him to put the world back together, and you're not going to do that over in the corner. You're going to do that in the middle uh, of where all the action is, and so God puts them in the crossroads of the earth, which led us to the book of Judges, which is where we read about God's people settling in to this missional call and this new identity and this new home. They're no longer wandering the desert. They now have entered the promised land, but it's a struggle. It's a struggle to live in the promised land. It's a struggle... Uh, to remember where you came from it 's a struggle to do all those things, and so we see this cycle in judges like this continual cycle this continual cycle of of things going well and then kind of losing the plot and losing your way and so uh, god sent, God sends uh, correction and you kind of you cry out to God and then God raises up a redeemer, and then there 's rescue and then and people have always called that cycle a sin cycle. And, and we didn't like that term, not here at the Bayma podcast. We said, no, 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 not sin cycle. We said redemption cycle. Uh, you, same cycle, same exact pieces and content of the cycle itself. But there's two ways you can look at it. You can either look at our our, 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 our garbageness, our badness, or you can look at God's goodness. You can either look at our failure or you can look at God's patience. And so we definitely in- encountered God's patience in the redemption cycle of the book of Judges. You kind of hit it like a pause button as you zoom into the story of Ruth, which was this love story. And it was a love story about outsiders, about an alien, an orphan, and a widow, quite literally an alien orphan widow in Ruth, uh, and and she was following her mother-in-law, Naomi. Uh, she was a Moabitess. Uh, Naomi had left uh, the land of Israel, the land of Judah, and had went to Moab and started this family, and that's how Root got into the family. And then they have to go back home, and it's about all these characters, whether they're insiders or outsiders or whether they struggled in the past. You have all these characters in the book of Root that are, are putting righteousness on display, not perfection, just just goodness, generosity, other-centeredness like not a narrative of self-preservation, not empire. They're putting on a narrative of shalom, and, and that's what we end up seeing. So that leads us into a whole another portion of history where you really end up having um, – it's the portion of history about Samuel and Kings and Chronicles. Always kind of confusing to many of us as we read those things, but we looked at, if you go to that next slide and are reminded, we looked at how these two things are really two different stories. You have story A and you have story B. Story A is Samuel and Kings, story B is Chronicles. Story A was told from Israel's perspective, and story B was told from Judah's perspective. Story A was written more like agenda driven headlines. Story B was more like a documentary perspective. So Israel and story A, Samuel and Kings is written more like real time, like almost as if you're in it, like you're reading the newspaper, where story B, written from Judah's perspective, centuries later, centuries later, is now looking back with perspective and seeing uh, more like a documentary. Now, we talked about which one of these was right. Brent, which one of these perspectives is the right perspective? Did we talk about which was right? Yeah. It's a trick question.
0: Neither one's right.
1: Yeah, they're both right. They're both right. They have this, uh, they just have different perspectives. One's looking at it from one angle, one's looking at it from the other, looking at the same portion of history. They're just telling the story differently. And, 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 and we went through that. So it's talking about this period of history where you have Saul and you have David and you have Shlomo and you have all the rest of the kings. And so if you go to the next slide there, we've filled in some of that. We've got Saul, who was a donkey herder from Benjamin. We have David, David, who was a shepherd from Judah, and how the text juxtaposed these two things. Would you rather have a donkey herder or would you rather have a shepherd? Would you rather be, you know, donkeys or would you rather be sheep? Um, would you rather have Benjamin? Would you rather have Judah? There was this juxtaposition um, that obviously we see. So Saul and David kind of walking their paths out drastically differently. After David, David comes Shlomo Solomon, and he has this kind of a celestial empire, incredibly wise, in- incredibly complex human being. I-, I trust, I assume that Solomon was uh, trying to be a, a-, a good person and-, and be a good king and somebody who pursued God with all of his heart and, and soul and might and And yet he just had this lust for empire um, and and whatever his intentions were, just really kind of screwed up the story in a lot of ways. Uh, one of those ways is that the the kingdom gets split, and so you see there with the rest of the kings, you have a split kingdom with Israel in the north and Judah in the south, and you just watch story after story after story with very few exceptions and there are some there's a handful of exceptions, but there's only a handful uh, pretty much it's just a big huge narrative portion of narrative portion of history that's just about mistrust and, and chaos. And when you look at these two narratives and and you look at what they're actually trying to say there, you'll notice that in the red and the green on your slide there, they they the words there changed. Story A, it, it had an agenda. And, and, and when it looked at the story, it said, you know, the reason that everything fell apart for us, it was about immorality and idolatry. It was about the immorality and idolatry of God's people. That's why things fell apart. And there was absolutely truth to that. When the story of Chronicles looked back on it centuries later, from Judah's perspective, it said, you know, there was actually something underneath the idolatry, uh, something underneath the immorality. There was a thing behind the thing, behind the thing. There was there was something causing the immorality and the idolatry, and that was our lust for empire. That was the injustice. Uh, Because we were looking out for ourselves, because we were trying to build our narrative and preserve self rather than sacrifice self for other people, uh, because we had lost the plot of blessing all nations, we were struggling with injustice. And that's really what lies behind all of that. And so...
0: So we're going through some hardships at this point.
1: Very much so. And we need some tools. We do need some tools. To to help us. Take the
0: tools. Take the tools, Mr. Brent Billings. Oh, Oh, um, well, if you, if you insist. I, I do insist. That'll give you the profits. So we choice. do. No, no, I'll take the tools. <laughs> um, so we have this wisdom literature. We have the books of Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. And these are tools for our journey as we are being carted off into captivity, uh, taken from our homes on these long journeys to places we don't know. We need tools to help us uh, make it to survive. So we have the Psalms, which are songs that we can sing as we march along in the hot desert. We have proverbs that are wise sayings and generally true, um, that help us, uh, maintain, what what would you say are maintain our,
1: well, you know, like you said, you said you need tools and one of the tools, you're going to need nuggets of wisdom. If you don't have wisdom that helps give you insight, this journey is going to be a slog. And so, Proverbs are these little nuggets of wisdom that keep you going, that give you an, what you need to get your head up above the the garbage and see it a little bit more
0: clearly. All right. And then we have Ecclesiastes, which is a, a book about meaning and purpose, uh, which is certainly when, when you feel like uh, everything is lost, you do need some meaning and some purpose in your life. And then you have Song of Songs because uh, intimacy, this uh, Hebrew word dode. Uh, this concept of of being intimate with with someone that's uh, that's what's going to keep you keep your people held together uh, as as you go through this hardship. Absolutely, yep. seventy years of captivity that's Absolutely. that's a long time. Yes, and and, and it was pre captivity and 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 uh, the yeah, journey. These, these wisdom uh, literatures did not appear spontaneously as they're being carted off. Absolutely. So they're they're going to cover yes. a, a wide range of time, but. Uh, but they're so useful uh, in in those times of hardship. Absolutely, and that's the beauty of the wisdom literature, as it's it is so wide. It's such
1: a wide breadth of human experience, because the journey is unbelievably nuanced. And there's highs and there's lows. And so you've got songs of joy and songs of mourning. You've got songs of frustration. You've got proverbs about success and you've got proverbs about failure and you've got proverbs about persistence. You've got proverbs about temptation. you got, And then you have like meaning and purpose. Like the whole book is like struggling with meaninglessness. And yet in the midst of that whole journey, like the wisdom literature is wisdom literature because it's far from surface level. It's actually horribly profound. It's
0: unbelievably deep, and there's a well there that it's tapping into, and addresses a lot of concepts that uh, many of us are uncomfortable addressing today. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. That's what makes
1: it. That's what makes it the wisdom literature. So that leads us into the section of the prophets, because into this into this mess where where there is struggle and. And there's now a divided kingdom after Solomon. You have the north and the south, and you have this continual mistrust, and more and more and more injustice. God is going to step into the justice. Remember, all the way back in session one, we talked about a God who hears the cry. He is going to be a God that hears the cry of the oppressed. And it doesn't matter if you're God's people or not God's people. God hears the cry of the oppressed. How much more is it horrible? Horrible when it 's god 's people doing the oppressing, and so God steps in and He starts by sending them warnings. We talk about warnings, woes, and hope, and we 'll do that in the next episode but there's a there 's a pre Assyrian time period before anybody comes and conquers anybody. Well, everybody thinks that everything is just awesome, wonderful. God sends warnings, and He sends warnings in the the the, the prophets of Amos and Hosea, Micah, and first Isaiah. Amos and Hosea are both prophets to to Israel, and Amos is a uh, he talks about a plum line. He's this fig farmer, and he wants to talk about plum line and a basket of ripe fruit, and talk about how God's people are ripe for justice. You got Hosea. Hosea's whole life is kind of the backdrop for this parable prophecy, and and he he has he's he has this calling from God. Uh, so he understands it to marry a prostitute, and, and their marriage together becomes a picture of God's marriage to. Uh, his people. And then there are two prophets to Judah, Micah and first Isaiah. Micah is the concept of the judge. Um, uh, there's a judge. There's a there's a gavel about ready to come down. You need to repent. And first Isaiah, which talked about the vineyard, like God, God said, I had planted a vineyard on a fertile hillside. I, I, I chose the choicest vines. I cleared it of stones. What more could I do with it? And yet when I came, when I come looking for good fruit, which is the only thing I should expect, I instead find betushim, I find bad fruit. And so... That leads. Uh, there are warnings, and some of them hear hear the warnings, and some of them don't hear the warnings. Um, which which nation heard the warning? Uh, Judah heard it. Judah heard it. Israel did not, and so Israel found themselves um, uh, under captivity by the Assyrians. The Assyrians came in. Um, conquered uh, Samaria conquered Israel and you had two prophets Jonah and Nahum uh, that that spoke to Israel during that time Jonah they were like two sides of of the coin they were like if if your experience was a coin on one side you had this question of like why is god not saving us why is god letting the assyrians like just crush us and and into that the book of Jonah comes and says because god sees potential and the word for Jonah was potential God doesn't just quickly judge anybody. God has patience because he cares about people, and and in Jonah, even the animals and the cattle and the livestock, there's potential in creation. Remember that good creation that we can't forget about. But then on the other hand, there's the book of Nahum, which is a book that we we, we associate with the Hebrew word din, which is pronouncement of judgment, uh, a retributive justice. And, and it, there reaches a point where God, in order to restore shalom, God says enough is enough. And so Nahum talks about that. Uh, reality. Now, Judah, we said, they did hear the cry, and Hezekiah was a king who led them through a process of repentance, and because they repented and prayed to God, Sennacherib and the Assyrians were pushed back. God did away with them, but that didn't last for very long, especially after Hezekiah. The story goes south very, very quickly, and you have two prophets, Zephaniah and second Isaiah, that are uh, are sent to Judah. And Zephaniah, Zephaniah, his his... His message is one of shuvah. And what was shuvah, Brent? Can you remember what the word shuvah meant? To return. To return, to repent. Like you got to come back to God's story, come back to where you were. Um, And then second Isaiah, which was just at this point, late in the Assyrian period, the gavel has come down. It's too late for repentance God's judgment is on your doorstep, and 2nd Isaiah is a, is a book of woes. Woe to this group, and woe to this group, and woe to God's people, and woe to not God's people, and, and God is so sick of the way that humanity is treating, treating each other. It kind of reminds me of the story of Noah. God is going to, to be doing something about this mistreatment. He's going to bring shalom back to the chaos. And so into that story, Babylon comes. And so you have the Babylonian prophets. You have people like Jeremiah and Lamentations and Habakkuk and Obadjah and Joel and you have these, uh, Jeremiah was the weeping prophet, like his job was to basically go to God's people and say, don't fight this, it's too late, God's judgment is here, just embrace God's discipline, embrace Babylon, not a popular message. And then you had the book of Lamentations, which was a, 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 an alphabetic, chiastic, acrostic, and it was this, this poetic lament, just full of some of the ugliest lament you've ever seen. And yet in the center of this chiasm, hope you had. Hope so. Lament and hope. Habakkuk was the story about a watchtower. Like Habakkuk's trying to make sense out of all this. How can God let the wicked reign? How can He let the wicked be victorious? And He says, "I will climb up in my watchtower, and I'm going to wait for the Lord's answer." And and God kind of answers Him, uh, and and He's like, ah, "That's not good enough." That's when He says, "I'm going to climb up in my watchtower." God answers Him again, and this time more thoroughly. And Habakkuk says, "Oh, well," and he's got a song at that point. He says, "I, I guess I should." Talk less and listen more. And then you had you had the prophet Ovadia, who actually wasn't written to Judah, is written in voice at least to Petra and the the king, not Petra, but the the kingdom of Edom, the Edomites, and and the pitcher of Edom and the pitcher of Ovadia was Petra. These people that sit up in their rock fortresses. And then you had the, the prophet Joel, who talked about a locust plague. The locust plague was his image uh, that he used to talk about God's judgment. Here come the locusts. Now after Babylon has come, after Babylon has conquered. After Babylon has laid waste, and now you are sitting in captivity. You are sitting in exile, and now you have some exilic prophets, prophets that start to change their tone. Where the one there was warning and there was woes, now now after the woe has been realized, God's message changes to a message of hope. So you have Ezekiel, Yazekiel, and he he brings this message of of he, he's a his his name talks about strength. He wants to bring strength to the conversation. He wants you to understand why you're here and that God hasn't left you and that there is a he wants to strengthen God's people. And then there's there's Daniel and his message is about this this one who's going to come, one like a son of man. And so son of man is what Daniel's image is. There's coming a day where everything's going to be made right. I put Job, which is probably wisdom literature, but I put Job as an exilic prophet because I think Job was at least rewritten during the Babylonian exile. And which makes a whole bunch of sense because what Bible character are you going to relate with more? than the character of Job who has lost everything and sits there and goes, Why has God done this to us? And and that's the book of Job. And, and you also have third Isaiah, and third Isaiah is is that voice of, of those different voices of Isaiah. Third Isaiah is a is a voice that comes in and starts talking about the servant, the suffering servant. You are my servant Jacob, Israel whom I have chosen, you are the one that I've chosen, and if you will endure, if you can persevere, if you can get through this exile and get through this captivity, there is a new day. There is a day of hope, which leads us to that last portion of the prophets, which is the remnant. Some of them prophets, some of them his, more historical books. Um, but it is a portion of prophetic history, and that is the remnant. And so you had the book of like, say, Esther, um, which is when everybody started going back home, some people didn't go back home. Some people stayed, and they stayed on purpose, and they stayed with intention because they were going to impact, they were going to bless all nations. They were going to be, bring shalom to the chaos of Persia, who had ended up conquering Babylon. And so you had Esther, and you had uh, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, these leaders that that didn't stay they didn't stay in persia they they found an opportunity to go back home and return and they led the return of god's people back home and they had different kinds of leadership um, Ezra had a more pastoral, a more shepherding kind of leadership. Nehemiah was more of a, a a prophet. He was more passionate. But both of them had a real passion for leadership, different kinds of leadership, but their passionate leadership enabled God's people to come back home and to rebuild, which is what one of their contemporaries, Haggai, Haggai uh, he had this message of, yes, it's time to build. It's time to stop weeping. It's time to stop thinking about all the things that aren't. It's time to stop dwelling in the past, and it's time to build God's god 's house in the midst of that Zechariah, one of Haggai's contemporaries, shows up, and he has this much longer ministry and it's His was a book of apocalyptic literature um, He was one of uh, one of a few apocalyptic prophets, but he really just brought apocalyptic prophecy. Um, in a really distinct package to God's people. In the midst of all their questions, in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of all kinds of... Zechariah said, you need to persevere if you're going to rebuild. Um, and then you had fourth Isaiah, and that last voice of of Isaiah, which which talks about restoration and being repairers of broken walls and uh, restorers of, uh, of streets and dwellings and everything's going to get put back together. Everybody's going to sit underneath their own vine and their own fig tree, and there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And God is doing something with all of creation. He's putting it back together. And then that last voice that we looked at, not in the Hebrew scriptures, it is in our scriptures, in our Bible, but in the Hebrew Bible, it's not their last voice, but it was for our, for our, for our timeline here. And that was Malachi. And Malachi had this real Q and a type discourse where he, uh, where God had something to say to a group of people trying to rebuild, God was like, don't lose your way as you try to rebuild. And they they had that conversation. And that brought us to the end of session two. Session two was a thick,
0: thorough little journey that we had there, Brent, right? Short number of episodes, a great amount of... <laughs> Concepts to consider that we don't normally um, think too much about. Absolutely. So how about you take us through session three? How about that? So at that point we uh, enter uh, the period that we call the silent years. It's the 400 years uh, between the end of our our written biblical Old Testament history uh, until the time of Christ. And so it it would seem from the text that there's not a whole lot going on here, but we we know from history that there was a substantial amount of things going on. The uh, Israelites have come out of captivity. Many of them have returned. Uh, many of them have not as well. Some some people said Babylon sucked. We're getting out of here. Some of them said ah, maybe we can stick around. Maybe we can get some work done. At any rate, they were they were struggling with with this concept of how do we make sure that we never fall under captivity again. So they developed this system of synagogue. They wanted to return to the text. And create this new education system because they decided that we we lost our story. And because we didn't know our story, that's why uh, God let us go into captivity. So the uh, education system was was this idea that um, from a very early age, everyone in the Jewish community would, would go through uh, first what was called Beit Sefer. And they would memorize the entirety of the Torah from the age of five to about ten. And then uh, the best of those students would go on, and they would memorize the rest of uh, what we know as the Old Testament scriptures, the rest of Tanakh, and the best of them would uh, move on again and uh, start working through, you know, the the heights of their education system, and hopefully be called by uh, a rabbi to to do that ministry. And all of this is happening in the the context of this rising Hellenism, this Hellenistic culture. Uh, pioneered by Alexander the Great of Greece, and there are different responses to this to this new culture. There's the Sadducees, who are uh, the priesthood, and they are um, they, they turn out to be corrupt, uh, but they do have this um, this priestly calling uh, from God. So, so they have pros and cons, as well as the Herodians, who are uh, not priests, but also in this uh, more Hellenistic. Uh, Accepting culture, so they they have compromised with the culture, but they are also perfectly placed to be uh, a part of what God is trying to do in the world to to uh, restore the world and and bring His message to the world. Then you have priests who said, "We don't want to have anything to do with that." That's the Essenes, and the Essenes said, "We're going to get out of here. We're going to go out to Qumran. We're going to study the text." And uh Marty, what was their their key passage that they were working off of remember there Isaiah 40 yeah
1: yep comfort comfort my people speak tenderly to Jerusalem tell her her sins have been paid for a voice of one calling in the desert to prepare the way of the Lord make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God that was their jam
0: so the Essenes believed that in in every way that uh, that if they knew their text well that they would prepare the way for God's uh, God's coming so they um they have this incredible devotion to the text that uh, we we can appreciate today in in the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, we owe a lot to them, but also they were completely removed from from society and and couldn't couldn't speak to anything that was going on in in the world around them so then you have uh, other Jews who said, "We are going to withdraw um." but not not out into the desert we're going to go north to the Galilee you have the Pharisees and the Zealots who who both move up to this area and the Pharisees say uh, the the problem is we uh are not obedient enough and if we if we maintain our obedience and our righteousness then uh we will find favor with God and he will come and take care of the Romans and the Zealots also uh have those same sort of beliefs except they say we want to be a part of uh, God taking care of the Romans, and so their power was through the sword. So they um, pros and cons of each of those. I uh, feel like I'm getting them mixed up. That's, you, know, you, you hit it so far. The Pharisees had uh, also had this unbelievable devotion,
1: and and the Zealots had zeal. Or, I mean, just right there in their name. The problem was, is the Pharisees' devotion led them to a lack of compassion. And the zeal of the zealots led them to often use the wrong tools, which were violence. So they, they, uh, to use our language, they use the tools of empire. They, they kept using empire
0: for God's purposes, um, thinking that the ends justified the means. So a theme that we uh, may see come up again here in the near future of our podcast. Ooh. Spoiler alert. Um, Spoiler alert. So then, then we have the gospels. So this is the idea of the story in flesh. Jesus comes down and he, uh, literally walks out what the Tanakh what Torah told us to do he's a a living breathing Torah and so we go through uh the the books of Matthew Mark Luke and John Matthew with the idea of the mumser uh which I believe we hammered home pretty well as we went verse by verse through the book of Matthew but you got it (laughs) this is the idea that um God is for the outsider and and the outsider um is an outsider of society, but an insider in God's world. And then we have the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, and it is written to a, a Roman audience. The, the world was, was Rome. The Roman empire was basically the entire world at that point. And so Mark said, we need a gospel that will uh, speak to the things that they know about. We have the book of Luke, which is um, what we called ordered. That's the idea uh, from Goulder's book that Luke is written as a parasha companion. So every every week during the synagogue service, they would read a portion of the scriptures, and Luke was a Luke wrote a companion piece that would go along with that. And then we have the book of John, which is uh, John was the pastor to Asia, so he he has this uh, grafted gospel. He's dealing with uh, the world that is all Gentile being grafted into this Jewish church and how how this world is going to fit into the Jewish church.
1: Which leads us to the session that we just are wrapping up today, session four, which is all the rest of what we know as the New Testament. And so we have the early church and the theme that we're going to use for early church and the short review answer next episode is going to be text and context. What is the early church? Well, it's text and context. Start with the book of Acts, which we really said was an epilogue. It was an epilogue of an early church and so the word for acts is, is epilogue if if we went through all of tanakh and if jesus is the tanakh in flesh brent just said the story in flesh if that is what to, what jesus is in the gospels says what is it what does it mean when jesus leaves god's people become empowered with the holy spirit and they start walking out this this narrative you see that in the book of acts so the whole narrative kind of culminates in the life of Jesus and resolves, finds its resolution in the book of Acts. And so then we went through all of these other letters, which were really just text to context, whether it's the living text of Jesus Christ or whether it's the text, the Hebrew scriptures, you had a whole bunch of people putting text to context. We went through the book of Galatians with Paul. We said that that the theme of that book is going to be freedom, would be the word that I would use. If you were in my class at a whiteboard, we would say Galatians, freedom. Romans, we would say justification. Uh, Not salvation or atonement. Those are different conversations. But specifically, as we went through Romans, also verse by verse, another book we did verse by verse, uh, the theme of Romans was justification. We could jump through the next letters that we went through. We went through 1 Corinthians. We talked about uh, the word there being division, like there was a broken body whether it was the sexual immorality of first uh, of Corinth or whether it was just a, a church that seemed to be clinging to well I was baptized by Apollos but I was baptized by Paul well I I just followed Jesus um no matter what position they were a divided broken body so the word for first Corinthians was division the word for second Corinthians was apostleship like Paul really writing to talk about his apostleship um I am an apostle, Paul said, and you don't treat me like an apostle, very kind of like frustrated with the church in Corinth. We talk about the book of Ephesians and the church in Ephesus, how the idea there was family membership, and again, just what you were saying, Brent, about John's gospel, you have Jew and Gentile coming together, and the point of Ephesians being that that the the dividing wall has been removed. There's a new humanity, and you are all uh, members of God's household, adopted kids, Ephesians said. Then there's Philippians, which is a a book about joy, uh, Paul's joy for the church in Philippi. The book of Colossians, we, we use the word heresy, not that Colossians is heresy, mind you. Colossians is about heresy, particularly what we call Gnostic heresy. I just learned this. Uh, I just learned this recently, Brent. Uh, we are learning a lot more about Gnosticism. Some of the things we thought were Gnostic may actually not be Gnostic. So maybe more specifically what Paul was dealing with was with I, what I understand to be docetism, this idea of a separation between soil and spirit. And we're finding out that may not be as Gnostic as we thought this more recent scholarship. I just was finding that out, so I'll, I'll be a little bit less heavy-handed in the way I talk about Gnosticism from now on. But nevertheless, there you go. Uh, let's keep moving. How about First Thessalonians? We talked about parousia, the parousia, that second coming idea of a Caesar, and how that plays into uh, the Book of First Thessalonians. Talk about Second Thessalonians. Uh, the man of lawlessness—that's what we talk about for Second Thessalonians. First and Second Timothy. Talk about timid Timothy timid timothy Uh, we kind of compare him to maybe tough titus which is the next book tough titus then paul's last letter there philemon we talked about the idea of faith works so all of these letters being letters that take jesus and apply jesus to each unique and individual context because Thessalonica is different than Colossae, which is different than Corinth, which is different than Rome. All these places are unique. But there are other people outside of Paul that wrote letters in the New Testament. We looked at Hebrews, and the phrase we we'll use for Hebrews is supremacy of Christ. Supremacy of Christ. Christ has a better way. There's a better There's a better Moses, there's a better tabernacle, there's a better sacrifice, there's a better high priest, there's a better way. That way is Jesus. That's not to talk derogatorily of that same Judaism, because that book is written to, what's it called, Brent? Hebrews. Hebrews. It's written to Hebrews. So obviously the author is not talking negatively about their their Hebraic heritage, their Judaism, but in the face of a temple that's been destroyed— the writer of Hebrews is saying uh, uh, we have a we have a great option in Jesus. We have a better option in Jesus. So supremacy of Christ ends up being the word there.
0: Well, and as we've uh, talked about at, at this time, the rabbinical system was fairly well established uh, and being formalized, and so the idea of of the student of the disciple of a rabbi going on to do better things than the rabbi did, right? So if Jesus is is following in the steps of of Moses and, and whatever else, like it would make sense that he would be a a better version of that. Absolutely.
1: Yep. So, uh, then we have the book of James. We talked about obedience, just the idea of, if James is not writing to a Gentile audience, he's very much writing to a Jewish audience and not just in a Gentile world. James is writing to a Jewish audience in a Jewish church in a Jewish area, the church in Jerusalem. Now he's addressing the tribes that are scattered amongst the diaspora, he says in the book, but he's talking to that worldview. And he says, we can't use the gospel as an opportunity to not be obedient to the thing that God's called us to, particularly to the call of hospitality. And I think in all the things we looked at Chiasm's, all that kind of stuff he's hinting at, particularly the outsiders, the mumsers, the Gentiles. Uh, we looked at 1 Peter. Uh, the word for 1 Peter would be persevere. Persevere. 2 Peter, uh, the theme would be false teachers. And that led us to the last little handful of books here. 1 John, all about love and truth, love and truth. Second John was about the woman. We looked at who is the woman? Is it the church? Is it a woman? Is it both? Uh, who is the woman? We looked at Third John and this a short little letter of Third John and about this this guy named Diotrephes that was trying to cause problems uh, and not let the gospel thrive there. We looked at the book of Jude and how Jude was full of apocrypha, full of apocrypha, just great, wonderful, good stuff. Um, Uh, Difficult to understand, but just a a great book. And then we spent an awful lot of time in Revelation and the theme of uh, how how God's people have to overcome. So the word for Revelation, being to overcome. So we're not done yet, Brent, but I'm feeling optimistic. I think we might not break a new record here. We'll see. We'll see how we can do. This concludes session four. This This is the end of session four. Here's what comes next. Rent Billings Bema podcast session five. We got one more big session, and then the future. We got church history. So session five will take us on a journey through church history. Uh, it's going to be short. It will not be a long journey. We'll talk more about that when we get into session five. We will try to answer the question: Where are we, and how did we get here? Where are we right now in history? How did we get? Through, how did we get from Revelation to here? Because it feels like a whole lot of stuff changed. Like the Bible is awesome. Why is today such a mess? Uh, So we're going to try to talk about that. Uh, At the end of session five, we will take the opportunity to sum up the big ideas of our body of work and inspire us to walk it out together. I'm excited. I'm excited for the closing, which really won't be a closing closing, but it will be a closing to kind of our our body of work. And I'm excited for that. So um, just some ideas that we'll close with here to get you out of here. I know it's a long episode already, but... uh, If you would like to um, support the work that we do here, things have changed over the years. It's been interesting, Brent, to uh, go back to some of the stuff we're listening to in session one and realize... All the things we didn't know were going to happen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> this is this has been a completely different experience uh, than than at least I anticipated it would be for sure. Yeah, and so this thing has become something else, something other than what we really intended when we when we began. And
1: and so we're trying to make sure that we're supported financially, that we can do the things that we needed to do. We we have been able to hire Brent uh, full time here at, at Bayma, but we need to be able to sustain that. And so we we seem to be having some rises and falls, some great. Eight months and then some really uh, kind of dip down uh, months, and so we haven't really figured out what our steady income average is. And so, we're looking for those regular givers, we're looking for those supporters. And some of you give very substantial gifts every now and then when you can, and those are actually amazing. We just have to get used to how that income is coming in. So, all that being said, we love your support and we. Uh, we still need your support, um, and and we have things that we would love to do. There is more that we could do. There is so there is so much more that we could do. Plans that I have, dreams that I have, uh, having seen what God's done with us over the last few years, those dreams will. It's not all about money, but those dreams will take money. Um, they'll take people. They'll take manpowers, They'll take technology. They'll take tools, literal tools. Um, and so and so, we just need the support to to do that. And we will we will run the kind of program that we can run with what God brings us. Uh, we are not going to sit here and guilt trip you for funds, but we're going to put a link in the show notes. Uh, uh, it's kind of, it's always there, but we're going to remind you and point it out to you. It's, it's, it's our donate link. You can go there and you can sign up. I really want to encourage you and challenge you to sign up to support a, a recurring gift to the Baymom ministry. Uh, if you go looking for Brent Billings name, it's not on there. Brent falls under the Baymom Ministry. Um, which is a ministry team, ministry team tab. So just go to that ministry teams tab and find Baymom Ministry. And even even small gifts right now are making a huge difference because we have so many listeners, just thousands of listeners, that if you take thousands of listeners and every single one of them signs up for for a, an $8 gift, a $10 gift every month, um, it, it makes a big difference when a when hundred people do that. Um, and, and that's just a great thing. So I would love to to just ask you to consider that, to pray about that, to join us in that way. What other kind of things do we have, Brent? Other kind of things we need to plug here before we're done with Session 4?
0: Uh, well, we've started the Baymont Messenger, which is our email newsletter, and you should definitely sign up for that. That's how you're going to find out about uh, upcoming trips, upcoming events, uh, when Marty and occasionally I am traveling and you can meet up with us. Uh, it's the, It's the best way to stay informed real-time, Uh, as everything is happening, uh, we've started, uh, we start, we mentioned at the top of the episode, our our Slack workspace. That's a great place to, uh, to be in discussion with other listeners. Uh, but we also have had, uh, since we started the podcast, we've had hundreds of discussion groups pop up and we have a map that shows you where all of those are. And if there's not one in your area, you can start one. And there's, uh, instructions on our website on how to do that. Just some basic instructions we don't go through uh it's, it's not like you have to spend hours and hours of preparation it's fairly simple and straightforward so if you want to be in discussion with other people locally we encourage you to either get in a group or start a group
1: all that stuff can be found on our website right com. Yeah. right and uh help us keep our map map up to date i i love that last time we asked people to do that on the podcast i got some emails that wrote in that said hey we're actually going strong. We actually are no longer a launch group. We're a full-blown group or, Hey, it never worked out. I actually moved or whatever. We, there have been people that have helped us keep our map up to date because that's always good. We don't want somebody that asked to be on there two years ago. That's no longer interested to be on there. So help us to do that. We need your help because that's the only lifeline we have to reality out there. So,
0: and then lastly, I'd just say, if, if you're, uh, if you've made it this far into the show, I think you're probably enjoying it. Uh, and if you, if you haven't already, like share the show with some friends. If, uh, if you listen in iTunes or Apple podcasts, like leave a review on there, uh, that helps people find the show. It's, uh, it's pretty great. So I think that does it. I think we're done. Yeah. I think we're, yeah, we're ready for session five. We've been talking for long enough. We have shut her down. Sounds good. Well, thanks for joining us on the Baymo podcast this session four capstone episode. And uh, as you're done listening to this session five intro will already be available. So we'll talk to you again in just a moment.